0: Well, what is of substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it to church. And we just want to welcome everybody at our downtown campus, Westside Campus, Monterey, Mexico. We love all you guys. It is such a treasure to be able to do church together. And I I, I think back, you know, when, when Carolyn and I launched this church way back in the beginning, part of the reason why we actually did it was we heard the stats on the Twin Cities were so bad that that, that, that young people were abandoning the church at a higher rate than almost anywhere else in the United States, at such a degree that less than uh, 1% of people under 40 would attend any church on a a weekly basis. And so we really felt like, you know what, we have to start thinking next gen. It's just one of those things, one of those priorities. We have to start thinking evangelism. And and, and again, you know, Jesus said in Luke 15 that heaven rejoices more over one sinner repenting versus 99 righteous shouting at the top of their lungs, right? There's a disproportionate, that means Heaven is watching, and heaven is responding. And I really do believe that that part of the favor on our church is that we've always been trying to prioritize those things that that Jesus highlighted way back in the day. And so you know whenever i whenever I'm traveling, I get the privilege of almost every week I get to speak somewhere around the United States, and I, I get to see a lot of churches, okay? And every now and again, I find a church that has the exact same spirit as substance, okay? And, and I, you have to understand how fun that is for, for Carolyn and I to experience that all around the place. In fact, this place, uh, I, a while back, I was preaching in Canada, and I got to meet this absolutely fantastic couple, uh, Jonathan and Natasha Lambert, and of course, maybe I like them because they're a little punk rock like me, you know what I'm saying? Like, maybe I like them, maybe because they've got really cool kids. Maybe I like them because at their 10th anniversary, they had a free tattoo artist in their foyer. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, uh, you know, there's just some, you know, there's there's just some churches that are a little edgier, and I kind of, you know, I appreciate that, you know what I'm saying and of course uh, Jonathan happens to be in the house today Jonathan come on up here for a second I love this guy now you know I Okay, the other thing I love about you, so first off, uh, Jonathan also helps lead Arc Canada, and so we give startup capital to church planters all across Canada, and of course, this guy's been instrumental in making sure that's been happening, but I, I you know, every time I think about you guys, uh, and I think about your church, I've, I've always had so much fun at Experience Church in Calgary, okay, if you wanna go to Banff on top of that, it's like, wow, that's not even fair. But I I just, you know, the mountains you guys have. But every time I I think about you guys and I I pray about you guys, 2 uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 18 comes to mind. It's where the Apostle Paul is speaking about Titus. And he says this about Titus. He says, Titus and I have the same spirit and walk in each other's steps doing things the same way. In other words, Paul was acknowledging there's something unique about the anointing of Titus, and it's very similar to mine, and he was, he was just saying that about him, and I, I feel that about you guys. I feel like every time I'm at Experience Church, I'm home, and uh, I just you're such a fireball, both you and your wife. I think that's, well, you know, it's, it's, I understand what it's like to be married to a, a firecracker, You know what I'm saying? Wasn't Carolyn awesome last week? Oh, my gosh. It's like drop the mic and then fix the mic, you know, like whatever. Uh, No, but seriously, Jonathan, I love you, man. And uh, and when I knew they were going to be here, I thought let's just, let's have him bring a fiery word. So would you guys, wherever you're at, would you just do me, just do this guy the honor of standing to your feet and giving him a warm substance. Welcome. Love you, man.
1: All right. Well, uh, why don't why don't you grab a seat? And uh, thank you so much, Pastor Peter. It's an honor uh, to be at Substance. Not something we take lightly. Uh, but we're ready for the word. Let's go. Are you ready? Okay. Let's. Are you ready? Let's go. Matthew chapter twenty-four and verse thirty-seven says this: For as were the days of Noah so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wow, that's intense for a guest speaker. Wow, that's intense for summertime. Does this guy know that we've been hosting Taylor Swift all weekend and he's reading like an end time, so will be the coming of the Son of Man scripture? Yeah, he knows. He's ready. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Uh, for your power and your presence, thank you for Substance Church for incredible leadership and a beautiful city, God. We ask you to speak to our hearts through your Word in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, as, as far as epic biblical. The Ark. My guess would be that even if you're here at Substance for the very first time, you came into Minneapolis just for Taylor Swift on Friday night, or maybe last night, but if it was last night, you're probably coming to the next service, but you came in, you came in for Taylor, and you rolled into church today, and you've never been in church, but you probably have heard or have some reference point for Noah and the Ark, the the flood Narrative that we read in the book of Genesis shows up in historical literature, not just in the Bible, but the Quran shares the story of the flood and of Noah. There's Babylonian writings. The Epic of Gilgamesh talks about the flood. Asian Pacific cultures all have flood narratives. Of course, there's theologian and scholar Russell Crowe, who did a great job of bringing the flood story to life. Uh, and, uh, some of you are like, who's Russell Crowe? Um, <laughs> Evan Almighty with Steve Carell, is there anybody? Like Hollywood's done a great job with the flood. And and if you know the story, there's a chance that you've romanticized it just a little bit. Like like when you think Noah and the Ark, you think Noah and the cute animals. Uh, We treat Noah and the Ark a little more like a floating petting zoo than we do a rescue ship. And you know, at at our church, uh, we've got the Noah and the Ark play set in the kids' ministry. And so there's there's the little boat, and then you've got the you've got the figures. You've got Noah and his wife Joan, and, and they're walking into the ark, and there's like a little baby giraffe and elephants, and they're all just kind of walking in together. And and that's that's all fine and good. Some of you maybe have painted a nursery with a Noah's Ark mural, maybe the nursery at some no, you wouldn't do that. you wouldn't do that, no. Um, so not here at Substance, but maybe at your house. And, and you know, I'm sure the picture looks good. There's clouds, there's probably a rainbow, there's the ship, all these things. Um, I just, like, you could argue that in most of our thinking and most of our representations of Noah and the Ark, we are missing perhaps the most critical theological detail of the entire story, and that is the floating bodies that didn't make it onto the ship. Like, this is my goal. You're like, oh my God, what is he talking about? This is my, this is what I, I want to launch a theologically accurate kids toy line so that at our church, when the kids are navigating the boat on the floor of our toddler class, yeah, there's animals on board and there's Noah and his family, but they've got to push their way through bodies that didn't make, I, I want the mural to have somebody trying to climb up the side of the ark that didn't get in. Even, even, the, even the songs that we've used to learn the story of Noah are missed, there's this, this major gap in the theology. Let's, maybe you might know this one, a um, uh, little number. It goes like this. I don't, I don't know if you guys do it here on Sunday mornings. Uh, but it says, it goes, the Lord told Noah, there's gonna be a floody, floody. Okay, is there anybody that, that has heard this before? Anybody? Yeah, don't be ashamed. You're gonna sing with me. The Lord told Noah, there's gonna be a floody, floody. Get those children out of the muddy, muddy children of the Lord. Okay, that's verse one. Okay, verse two, if you know it, sing along. So Noah, he built him, built him an arky arky. Listen, I, I, I know it feels silly, okay, but I'm up here doing it by myself. <laughs> so Noah, he built him, built him an arky, arky, built it out of gopher, barky, barky, children of the Lord. Here we go. The animals, they came in, uh, by twosies, by twosies, twosies, animals, they came in. By twosies, 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 elephants, and kangaroosies. I've nev- I have never—I don't know that I've ever felt so weird as an adult male saying kangaroosies in a room full of people I don't really know. But they came in, the kangaroosies, roosies, children of the Lord. Okay, and then there's actions to this next verse. What are we on? Verse four, okay. So it goes, it rained and poured. Are you ready? Let's do it together. It rained. It just Come on, can we? I'm gonna try one more time to get a little more crowd participation. We're gonna rain and pour together. It's only weird if you don't do it. Okay, ready? It rained. Oh, there we go. Pour for four. I don't know what the next action is, but it rained. It poured for 40 days. These days nearly drove those animals crazy, crazy children of the Lord. Okay, that's I think that's four verses. And then, okay, just thank yourselves, you sounded beautiful. But then it it goes to verse five, and verse five sings like this. The sun came out and dried up, the landy, landy sun came out and dried up, the landy, landy everything was fine and dandy, dandy children of the. There was nothing fine and dandy when the sun came up. The sun came out, and, and there, were, there was carnage. So I took the liberty of writing a verse uh, to go in between in between the rain and the sun. Okay, I'll, I'm gonna offer it to you. Maybe we can put it on the next substance record. Um, it goes like this. The bodies, they floated. Up to the surface, surface, bodies, they floated. Can't you just picture all the five, six, and seven-year-olds singing this back in substance, kids? Up to the surface, surface, shouldn't have sinned. Now you deserve this, serve this, wiped out by the Lord. Let's... Let's just, let's contend together for biblical accuracy, shall we? Like the ark, the ark was not a cruise ship, a pleasure vessel, no, no. The ark was built for the preservation of humanity because an end was coming, and the ark actually serves as a picture of the church, God's design, our work, being built for the preservation of humanity. Substance is not a church. It's an ark that people in troubled times can run to to find salvation. So what were the days of Noah? What happened? What what caused Jesus to say, hey, everybody, the end is going to be like the days of Noah. Well, if you go to Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, we get a little snapshot. It says, When man, that's mankind, began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. The Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he's flesh, and his days shall be 120. If you go to verse 5, it says, The Lord saw. That the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his hearts was only evil continually. Okay, so let's just, just context. Okay, so it's been about 1600 years since Adam and Eve were in the garden of Eden. The population of earth is exploding, and the sons of God became one with the daughters of men. Now, I'm not particularly worried today who the sons of God were. You can ask Pastor Peter. They might have been divine beings mating with earth women. It could have been Cainite kings. It may have been the line of Seth, God's line, marrying women from the line of Cain. But but here's, here's what I know for sure. That problems on earth started... When godly people looked at something that was good and took it. And what's happening here 1,600 years after the Garden of Eden is actually just a manifestation and development of a generational problem that we first see in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 when Eve saw something the Bible says, the fruit on the tree. She saw that it was good and she took it to see and to take. That was a weak moment for Eve, but because generational sin compounds, it became a prison sentence for her descendants. She saw and she took. So we are, at present, living in the days of Noah. There's a lot of evil, there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of frustration, but we can't be surprised by it. We, got, we can't be shocked at the condition of the world because moral decline in culture always follows moral decline in the church. We, we think that culture sets what's happening in church, but the truth is, that church started first. That was the Garden of Eden. And so anything that's come after that has been because the church has given up its responsibility. So that's why we can't get frustrated at people that don't know Jesus and don't live like Christians. Because it's, it's on us, actually. So instead of finger-pointing judgmentally at a world around us, we should, we should be soul-searching and ask, God, where did we go wrong? God, God, somewhere along the line, in Western culture... Godly people became one with good things. Things that sounded good, things that looked good, things that felt good, things that we were told by a culture that's not Christ-like, are good, acceptable, and loving, without ever asking ourselves, do these things line up with God's word? And so we, we like, love is all you need, is it? That sounds really good, Until it becomes a license to do whatever you want, and all of a sudden we've made a God out of love, forgetting, of course, that God is love, and his love is divine and sacrificial, and it tells the truth. Accepting and progressing, and everyone goes to heaven, and I have a truth, and you choose your truth, and self-help. Listen, all of it sounds really good. And Jesus was inclusive and accepting and loving. He spent time with tax collectors and prostitutes and high-ranking officials and the demon-possessed. Everybody could come to Jesus, but it was them who went, and went, went away changed, not him. God doesn't change. He will not bow to the demands and, to, and, to, and the designs of our culture. In fact, have confidence because there will be a moment when every knee and every agenda and every ideology and every leader and every power and every influence will bow before Jesus and declare that he is king of kings and lord of lords. The problem starts when sons of God, God's people, start saying yes to good things that are not necessarily God things. So what did God do? Well, in the days of Noah, he gave a warning. He said, I... You've got 120 years and then I'm going to wipe out the earth with the flood and bring judgment. And that was very important for Noah's day. And and know this, Noah wasn't just building a boat for himself. In fact, it says in, in uh, the book of 2 Peter, I believe, that Noah was also a preacher of righteousness. So as Noah's building, he's also preaching. Because the ark was not meant just for six people. The ark was meant for the entire world. But but only, only eight people, sorry, responded, and those were his family. So there's, it's important for Noah's day, it's also important for our day. Because see, after the time of the flood, the average lifespan of, of humanity went from hundreds and hundreds of years down to about 120 years, and so we see even in this moment a picture of our uh, the average human lifespan. Now I know you'd probably love to live to 120. I don't know if I want to get there, so it might be 70, 80, 90. The point is, the end comes for everybody. We have a life, we have a window, we have a 120, if you will, and we need to use it to make things right with the Lord. And into that setting, God calls a man named Noah. And God said to Noah, I have determined, this is verse 13, Genesis chapter 6, to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So God said to Noah also translates God called to Noah. This is the moment that God speaks to him for the first time. But I I think the calling really hit in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, where it says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's an interesting interesting moment because that word favor also translates grace. It's the first mention of grace in the whole Bible right here. That Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And, And I always just assumed that when we find grace or find favor that it's this divine act of the Lord that he's like oh Jonathan grace and just hooks me up but the fact that Noah found it means that Noah was searching for something and when he had that moment with the Lord he had this like oh this is what I've been missing this is exactly what I needed this is this is what happens when you find grace if if you're in the room today and you've got a personal relationship with Jesus, you'll know that the moment you met him, you had the, oh, yeah, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been missing the whole time. This is what, And, and there's also this idea of like grace being that there's a grace to do what you're called to do. Like, you know when you just hit your lane, I, and when you're just like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. This is where I'm supposed to be. And so Noah was called by the Lord, called out from his contemporaries, out from the violence, out from the sin, out from the hatred, out from the division to be unique. And every person in this room has been called. First Peter chapter two, verse nine tells us that we've been called out of darkness and into a marvelous light. So everybody's called. Like, well, I don't know. I've never heard it. God's never talked. No, Yo, you're called. I'm telling you right now. You're called. Everybody's been called out. And so if you're the note-taking type today, I'd like you to just jot this down. Point number one, I'm called. That's it. Really, I'm called. I'm called. It's that's, that's really, I'm called. Which just means God has specifically made you unique and for a purpose. Everybody in the room has been called. Now, it gets more complicated after that. But so just write that down, because you want to make sure you've got that one on lock, and then we'll see how the the next one goes. Because see, he's called, but then in verse 14, God says to Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Okay, so everybody's called, but every call comes with a command. Every call comes with a command. God called Noah, then he commanded him, Noah, hey, what's up, it's me, God? I need you to build a boat. You gotta get to work, you gotta construct. And listen, the region where we live, there is a massive labor shortage. Like right now, 100,000 job openings in high-demand, well-paying sectors. And there's like, but we got a lot of people, we just don't have enough people who wanna work. It's a big issue right now. Jesus actually identifies the same kingdom issue, Matthew chapter nine, verse 37, when he says, hey, the harvest is plentiful. Like, we got a lot of jobs, but the workers are few. We got nobody who wants to work. So God, like it's not, this is not God's issue. God still saves, God still heals. God's still in the business of restoring and redeeming and putting broken hearts back together. God still breaks the chains of addiction, but there are way too many people who just want to be called and don't want to be commanded. Call me, Lord. I love it when you remind me I'm special. I love it when Pastor Peter says there's something unique on my life. God, I love the moment of being called. I love to be recognized. I like to be set apart. I don't don't really want to build. Noah's command was to build a boat that could navigate the coming floodwaters and save humanity. Now, this is important. God didn't build the boat for Noah. God didn't cut down the trees. Noah did. God did not go into the forest and drag the fallen logs back into the clearing. Noah had to do that. God didn't shape the boards so they would fit into the size of an ark that was almost two football fields big that you could fit over 500 rail cars of storage. God didn't shape the board. God didn't mix the pitch. God didn't measure anything. He said, hey, Noah, build. Noah swung the hammer. Noah fashioned the nails. Noah cut each board God designs. And Noah builds. There's something there for us. God designs, but we have a responsibility to build. Why? Because we're called and we're commanded. God's got a design for you, but then there's a life that you build for yourself based on God's blueprint, based on God's design. If 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 Noah didn't build for 120 years, rain would have come and everybody dies. If not, like we got we gotta think about this. Like if Noah doesn't build. Nobody lives. If Noah doesn't build, Noah doesn't float. It's really simple. If he doesn't build, He doesn't float. 19 years ago when Pastor Peter and Carolyn had a call from the Lord to start a church in Minneapolis, thank God they weren't just content to be called and set apart, but they're also builders and said yes to the command of God. And so they didn't just get called, they built and they got to work and they started to build this church and because they started building this church and said yes, my story and my family's story, like everybody in this room, has been deeply impacted. take on water because we ignored the design? That God actually has a design for human flourishing. You can read all about it in his word. He has a design for relationships and a design for finances and a design for family dynamic and a design for integrity and a design for sexuality. He's got a design and and God designed, but Noah built and the design was really simple. He said, Noah, you need to get some gopher wood, like the good stuff. I don't even know what gopher wood is. That's what he needed. And, and he said, you need to get the right wood, and then you need to cover it inside and out with pitch. Now, this is really fascinating to me, that that word cover in the Hebrew is, comes from the same root as the word atonement. And then the word pitch actually translates other places in Scripture as ransom. So just track with me for a minute here. Noah doesn't even know that God is preaching to him with the instructions. He says, hey Noah, you know what's gonna save humanity? The wood and the ransom. (laughs) Like, guys, this is the cross right here in the building instructions of a flipping boat. God's like, this is gonna, you know what you need to do? You need to make it all about the cross and then you need to make sure you've covered every area. You want to flood-proof your life? You make sure that thing is covered with the blood of Jesus. You make sure you're praying the blood of Jesus over your family and the blood of Jesus over your business and the blood of Jesus over your marriage and the blood of Jesus over your personal life. Make sure. Oh, no, no. If you start with Jesus, you're flood-proof. If we fail to build on Jesus, you'll be taken on water. But here's the part that really gets me, because there's this personal application, of course. But he also says, Noah, make sure there are a lot of rooms. This boat needs a lot of rooms. Why? Because there's implication for our churches and for the days we live in, because someday there will be an end. And I don't know when everything ends, but I know that I'm not going to live forever. And I know not to be more. You're not going to live forever either. There's going to be an end. And someday we will have to stand before the Lord and and give an account for what we did with Jesus and the message of the cross. Did you believe or did you not believe? And someday everybody we love and everybody we work with and everybody we see at the grocery store and everybody we live beside will have that same moment where they have to give an account. So Noah is not just building for himself. Noah is building a rescue boat with lots of rooms and he, and he's building for his family and the world around him. Listen, the flood is not just on its way. I believe in so many ways the flood is actually here. The ideological warfare, the counter-biblical worldview, friends, the water is rising and if we don't build right, we won't float. And if we don't build, our kids won't float. And if we don't build, the next generation won't float and if we don't continue to build his church the cities we love will not float we have a responsibility but building is hard it's exhausting that's why noah is the most underrated superhero in the Bible I like Noah he's not your typical hero he doesn't have a sling he doesn't have a sword he's not he doesn't have a spear He's not commanding an army. He's not overthrowing an evil regime. He's got a measuring tape. Okay, this board needs to be this long. I need this much pitch. He's measuring. He's calculated. He's patient. He's building. Oh, he doesn't have a he doesn't have a a weapon that looks like the weapons we like to lift up, but he's got a hammer. Man, God told me to build, so I'm going to take this hammer one more time. I'm going to hit this nail one more time. If I hit my hand one more time, I'm going to go down with them, but I'm going to try. And over and over and over again, Noah just does the simple thing that God asked him to do. If you think about it in terms of building a giant boat, it's massive, but if you think about it in terms of pulling out one more log and hitting one more nail, it's like, man, I could do that. Could you Could you? Be, could you be faithful for 120 years? This is, Noah has what I like to call quiet courage. Quiet courage. Because he doesn't get the same headlines as David. When Noah rolled up to work, were, you know, when David came back from war, the girls wrote him a song. They're like, Saul has slain his thousands, David has tens of thousands. I, I don't know the actual melody, but those are the lyrics. That's, the, like, that's my interpretation. I didn't plan on singing twice for you today, but there you go. Basically substance idol over here. Um, he's not getting the headlines that Gideon gets when he takes on an army with 300 no, but, but when he gets up alone and walks back to the clearing to place another board, he's just doing what God asked him to do. It's quiet courage. That's what it takes to be faithful. That's what it takes to be consistent. That's what it takes to stay in it and not quit. I mean, 120 years, 43,830 days, including leap years. I bet Noah had 43,830 really good reasons to quit. Imagine day one, like just the magnitude of what God asked him to do. Noah, I want you to build a boat. It's going to be the size of like one and a half football fields. And then it's going to rain. God, what's football? God, what's rain? It's too big. And sometimes the dream feels too big on day one. What about day two? I don't think Noah told Joan on day one what God told him. I think he waited until day two, probably at bedtime. When she's tired, she's got got a headache, you know. (laughs) I think that's probably the moment. Fine, you got a headache? All right. God told me to build a giant boat. It's going to take 120 years, our life savings, because rain's going to fall from the sky. Good night. Oh, she's awake now. What? What? oh, oh, where'd your headache go? Okay, like she's, (laughs) she's awake now. It's hard to be called when you're the one called and not everybody else heard the same call. You don't always have to justify it, though. You just gotta be faithful. What about, what about year 31? When he's still dragging logs out of the forest and it's dry and it's hot. And Seth, his son, is getting mocked at school because his dad's crazy. Seth comes home from school Dad, I got punched in the face. They stole my falafel again. Took all my hummus. Dad, can you just get a normal job like everybody else? Son, the Lord told us to do this. What about year 72? He is the laughingstock of the region. Heavy opposition from other men. In fact, the other men were, we we know this about them, about the people that existed at the time. They're full of violence and evil all the time. You think they just made fun of him? I think there were probably attempts on his life. There's Noah building them, preaching that they're all gonna die. These people were not happy. But he kept going, even though what he was building made no sense to people around him. It would have been so easy to quit. What about year 117 when all the animals started showing up? Dad? Is that a lion and a gazelle together? Yeah. Yeah. Is that an elephant? Open- Yay. Yeah. Yep. How am I going to feed all these animals? Where am I going to get all the food to live in a boat? For who knows how long? How am I going to do this? And also, God, it's still so dry. Could you give me just like a, like a shower, like a drop, so that I know this is actually you? Noah had every reason to quit, but he had quiet courage. And you know that we'll always underestimate someone's courage if we don't understand their reason to quit. And in a room like this, in a room like downtown, in a room like Westside, there's quiet courage in every row. Because there are people today who walked into church looking like they're ready to be here. But you had a reason to quit when your alarm went off. There are people in the room today who got down on your knees again this morning and prayed for a son or daughter that's far from the Lord. The so, God, would you please? There are people who got up today in the same chronic pain that you went to bed with last night, had to take painkillers just to fall asleep. You woke up and it was there again and it took quiet courage for you to even show up into the building. It takes quiet courage to wake up alone and to know that you're gonna walk into a room full of people and still feel isolated, but I'm gonna go anyways. Quiet courage. Takes quiet courage when you've been praying to conceive, and it just hasn't happened. And you're you gotta celebrate somebody else's baby shower and their kid's ugly. <laughs> you go, oh, it's beautiful. I've never seen anything. So you're like, oh God, give me my own. Takes quiet courage. You know, it takes quiet courage sometimes just to get up and keep providing for your family. It takes quiet courage to stay in the marriage. It takes quiet courage to keep loving your kids. It can take quiet courage to keep showing up and to keep serving. It takes quiet courage. So listen, you might not see a sword in your row. You might not see a sling or a spear, but there are people in your row today who could have quit and who sh- maybe they even, it feels like they should have quit, but they're still here and you're still praying. And you're still believing, and you're still building, and you're still moving forward. It's quiet, courage. How did Noah do it? How did Noah get up day after day for 120 years and stay in the game? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, which I did not give the team. says, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events is yet unseen. In reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. You know how, you know how I know Noah believed in God? Because he was obedient. And obedience is always evidence of belief. The only times I disobey God is when I don't really believe what he told me to do. That's mature faith. What did Noah believe in? We'll look with me for a moment, and we'll close. Genesis chapter 6, verse 18. God speaking, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Listen, here's the best part of this whole talk. Everybody in the room is called. Everybody in the room has been commanded to build. But everybody has received a covenant promise from our Heavenly Father. Noah was called. Noah was commanded. But every command comes with a covenant, a divine agreement. This is the covenant. Noah, if you build, your family will be saved when the end comes. Noah, if you build, if you endure the ridicule, Noah, if you keep going on the days when you want to quit, your family will be Saved, And the call of God and the command of God are confirmed with a covenant from God. God had to give him a promise because he knew there were going to be hard days. God had to give him a promise so that when Noah was striking another hammer to another nail, he knew, listen, my work is not in vain. My sacrifice is not for nothing. The cost matters. My family will be saved. Listen, it is so hard to persevere if you don't have promises to hang on to. The promises of God will quicken us and inspire us and encourage us forward. Quitting happens when you stop hanging on. Courage fades when you stop hanging on. So we hold on to his promises. Isaiah 41.10, God promises, I'm with you. I will strengthen you, Isaiah 26.3, that he will keep you in perfect peace. Deuteronomy 31.8, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 32.8, God will teach you. When you don't know what to do and don't, don't know how to raise your crazy kids, he'll teach you. Psalm 37, 23. He will make your steps firm. Psalm 37, 24. When you feel down and worn and overwhelmed and like you're sinking, he will be the one who upholds you. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. God wants to give you rest. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. His power is perfect in your weakest moments. 1 Peter 2, 24. By his stripes, that sickness in your body can be healed. Philippians 4. He is your provider. 2 Timothy. He wants to give you a sound mind, Isaiah 59, 21, that he made this covenant with them, says the Lord my spirit will not leave them, neither will these words I've given you, they will be on your lips and the lips of your children and your children's children, forever a generational promise, for I the Lord have spoken, come on if he's your shield if he's your protector if he's your defense, if he's your help in time of trouble there's a promise for hope and joy and life and freedom. There is a call on your life. There is a command on your life. But there is a promise from a God who is able to carry you through. Don't give up. Have quiet courage. Your family needs you. Your city needs you. This church needs you. Get behind your pastors. What you're building is not just a church for the weekend. It's a rescue ship to save people for eternity. Don't give up. If we build, the city has a chance to float. If you build, your kids will float. If we build. Can I pray for you? Would you stand with me from the front to the back? I want to pray for a supernatural deposit of quiet, Courage, quiet courage. Go ahead, close your eyes. Lord, we thank you for everybody in the room. God, thank you for the called people, the commanded people, the people with which you have made a covenant promise. God, I just lift the I lift up everyone that's thought about quitting, that's thought about giving up. Thank you, God, that now more than ever, we need people who are gonna stay in the game. We need people who are gonna be faithful. God, would you strengthen them with courage today? Strengthen them by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for the beautiful work you're doing at Substance Church. God, we thank you for the resolve to keep moving forward. God, thank you that all of your promises are yes and amen in Christ. God, strengthen our faith today.
0: In Jesus' name, amen, amen.